0: We at Time to Rebuild would like to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. At the YMCA Rebuild, we're in the business of reducing recidivism in Victoria, and in no way do we condone criminal activity discussed in these episodes. We support victims of crime and are committed to creating a safer community. I'm joined by Fiona Patton from the Reason Party and Upper House MP Patton, here in Victoria. Fiona Patton, leader of the delightfully named... Fiona Reason. Patton
1: is one of the crossbenchers. Fiona Patton joins us now live from Melbourne. Good morning. Prohibition is not working. Voluntary it. euthanasia. Drug law reform. Same-sex marriage. Uh, sex education. The Minister would be aware Victoria is the only state in this country without a spent conviction scheme. Despite the other states having a scheme for over 30 years without a spent conviction scheme or without an understanding, we're punishing people for the for where they were born and who they were born to and and how their lives and probably their parents and their grandparents' lives emerged. So, you know, for, for many people this is just it beca- it does become this life sentence and we we we're, we're still punishing people.
2: You ask me the questions and I'll talk. I think you've been yelled at a few times, mate. That's a really good point that you make because we're, this is what this podcast is about: is giving out of sight You're going to you're going to do things that are compromised, maybe the values and morals that you were brought up with, or maybe they fall right in line with the values and morals that I was brought up having.
0: Um, my focus is just focusing
2: on what I'm going to do when I get out, and all the stuff that you might not have thought of mm. that goes on in the prison.
0: Yeah, like how many alarms get set off when you walk in with me Cronin. All right, today we're very lucky to have Fiona Patton on the show. In 2009, Fiona's political career blossomed as the leader of the Australian Sex Party, which is better known today as Reason Australia. Some of Fiona's achievements include securing the first medical supervised injecting room, began the parliamentary inquiry that led to Dying With Dignity reform, created safe access zones for women's health clinics, uh, and is on the path to decriminalising sex work in Victoria. And why we love our her work here at Rebuild is for introducing the Spent Conviction Scheme for Victoria, which will go on to help so many young people uh, around our state. Fiona,
2: welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's just great to be with yeah. you.
2: did I get that right? Well,
1: that sounds, it sounds yeah. pretty good. Oh, like, yeah. You've been
2: busy. You think you've been doing enough, Fiona? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, look, some of my critics would say no. You know, some of my critics would, um, yeah, say I haven't done enough, but Look, it's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for someone like me to get elected into parliament. And um, all right, I've been elected twice, so maybe yeah. that's twice in a lifetime. <laughs> but um, it's yeah, it, you you might as well go in there and try and get things done. Um, there's no point sitting on the sidelines. You, you you know, I'm incredibly privileged to be in there. So yeah, I had a to do list.
0: It's awesome,
1: which I've been ticking off.
0: Yeah, and look, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I was 18 and I went to the ballot box for the mm. first time, I did vote for the Australian sex party purely.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Purely because I saw purely sex on the top of the ballot <laughs> box. <board>. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that was, um, well, you know, that was why we yeah. called it the sex party, of <laughs> yeah, course. Well. You know, like, um, and it did, you know, it was a double-edged sword. Like some people would say, I voted you- for you because there was sex in your name. Other people said, you caught my attention. I then looked at your policies and actually found out that I agreed with a lot of your policies. And other people said, I would never vote for a party that has such a stupid yeah. name. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I started to, once I got elected, I started to get that a little bit yeah. more. So I started to find people saying, look, we love what you're doing. Can you please change your name? Yeah. Um,
0: well, it, it, it <laughs> did well because, I mean, like that's how I, like that's that's what attracted me at the start, just being yeah. young and eighteen, and then, um, but then it kind of made me aware of the of the policies that you guys were pushing, yeah, uh, and they definitely aligned, yeah. uh, especially with young people. Um, yeah. I think I think it was a, yeah, I, I thought it was a great plan.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Mark. Uh, look, you know, <laughs> there have been times when we've kind of gone why are we not just called the sex party yeah. again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but look, it, it, you know, it, even getting volunteers and, and certainly getting candidates who were willing to wear like a bright yellow T-shirt with red, sex written in giant red letters across your chest, ha- you know, to to go out there and campaign at train stations, to go out and campaign at, at polling booths, you know, it did take a certain person yeah. Um, to do that, and certainly the the more demure uh, re- name of reason and the the nice turquoise color um, seems to attract few few more people seem to be at ease popping that color on. <laughs> oh,
0: it was good.
2: clever. It was it was it's clever. Like it's like everything is. If you grab the eye, it's like in some ways it's like marketing. In some ways it's like it, yeah. it was a really good ploy in that way. Um, and I suppose, though, it also, as you say, it's a double-edged sword, it brought, it brought the other side mm. of it, too, you know, where it could actually get in the way a little bit. Um, and yeah. Did you find that as well? Like, obviously, you were doing all this great work and you say people would lead and they'd see your policies and see what you stood for. But there would also be the other side of it where, you know, people would look at the name, as you say, and, and not really yeah. go any further than that as well. Was yeah. that frustrating at times as well? And did that lead to the was- change?
1: It was frustrating. and I mean, look, I clearly remember this man coming up to me and, you know, just like screeching two inches from my nose saying, you know, I've had to take my child home because I couldn't take my child to the polling booth because of you. I'm like, really? You know, it's because of the word sex. And I'm like, actually, the word sex is on most government forms that you fill out. Um, it's, it's in your, the word is in your passport. (laughs) It's, you know, it's on your driver's license. Um, but yeah, it really did. Um, it it could polarize, it could polarize people. Um, and yeah, in 2016, when we were running a federal election campaign and we had got safe access zones up, so he, we had achieved that. And, the assisted dying debate was um, inquiry was und- was underway, and people yeah at that stage people were saying, look, really good idea to start with. Maybe um, we could you know, time to change. And even my next door neighbour saying oh, I wanted to vote for you, but I couldn't tell people, my friends, that I voted for the sex party. So, <laughs> so And she got so flustered because she really wanted to vote. She didn't want to vote against me, so she ended up not voting.
2: Right. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. And interesting as well, like where you sit now, yeah, you know, in reason party and, and so forth, and... Mm. Um, does it get in the way a little bit sometimes? Is that like, is that like, you, like you're very. You must be proud of the work that you did with that name, yeah. Um, and yeah. does it also? Is it, is it also still a bit now? You go, oh god, I, you kind of want to move on from that, or is it still a price? Is there a balance there of a place of pride versus a place of maybe getting in the way of what you're trying to go now with? I
1: I would still say that the majority of interviews that I do starts with Fiona Patton from Reason used to be the sex party. We haven't, um, you know, that that's still there. And I don't, no, I don't mind that at all. Like I loved being the sex party and I loved founding it and I loved the the larrikin nature of that. And I think, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the traits that I hope our party maintains that we do not take ourselves too seriously. Mm. Yeah. You know, we are there to represent people. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, in some ways, humour is one of the, the the you know, it, politics is funny. I mean, but, you know, we kind of laugh at politicians, but I think we should be using humour as the great communicator that it is. And I think, you know, that's, um, that's something that's still... I, th- I think still important. I think that's that's why sex the sex party got such a cut through as well is because it was
2: kind yeah. of funny. Yeah, um, and,
1: and we did use humor in a lot of our campaigns, and I, I hope that we can continue to do that. But
2: I like that. That's refreshing. You know what I mean? Like I think mm. I, I totally agree with you. And even in the work that we do, um, and yeah. even in this podcast, you'll see we we are quite lighthearted and, and relaxed around what we yeah. do because we work in a very heavy kind of uh, industry like with a lot oh. of you know working with a lot of people that have gone through heavy situations and mm. it can be quite like for the listener as well so we we yeah. bring humor even in our staff we bring a little bit of humor in through it as well because if you didn't you, you you probably wouldn't survive as long as you do doing the work that you do because you have to lighten the load a little bit around it you don't disrespect it but you have to where there's opportunities you have to to, to like have a bit of a light look at it as well
1: yeah absolutely and i think sometimes people people actually listen you know it, it, those 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 moments of lightness and those moments of you know when you're laughing you're connecting or you know when you're smiling you're connecting and i think you can actually get messages across even really serious mm-hmm. messages in some ways um you know uh, in in you know in a, even in a more be- in a better way like when i just remember like when we were uh, campaigning for a sister dying um, we said you know we we ran this campaign and it was of this um it was sort of of this person that looked like they were in a morgue and they had like a tag on their toe and but but where their um, genitals were we'd put a we'd put a little um sort of celebration hat pointy shiny hat <laughs> with streamers and it was just like everyone deserves a happy ending and um, <laughs> I, I, look I think some people were offended but it this was around actually enabling people to have dignified deaths and to be able to go at their own choosing and to be able to to make those to, to have that to have that decision making and that capacity to to be in control of your end of life and um and but that so that's that cut, I think humor does cut yeah. through even on serious issues that's brave
2: yeah. though i can imagine you sitting <laughs> around the table when you're putting up the creative on that and you're going i've got something all right, let's hear it. And you can, you know, just bear with me on this one a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just wait till I get to the end. I think,
0: I think we've got to step up our game with the rebuild commercials.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. we do. I think we can learn from, from Fiona. Cause that's, um, cause, but it does take bravery to go, we're going to go with that because yeah. we're going to cut through it like this mm. and get to the yeah. end result like this. So I just think yep. that's really brave because a lot of people will just yep. back right away from that and go, no, nope, no. Nope. Went that's not going to go down yeah. well. Whereas you know, you went, Now nah, let's just let's, let's go with this and, and get I, the reaction that we need and, and the interest that we need from this and the serious, and from that, we can get what we want to get across.
1: That's right, and it and it did, it, it, it certainly worked. And you know, even I remember one of our first campaigns, which was it was a, it was in 2010, I guess. And they would do it was work choices. Do you remember, mm, yeah, Liberal Party putting out work choices? So we put out jerk choices <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we're on radio so you can't see but you can imagine the hand symbols that we got, you know, the, 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 the gestures that were um, used throughout that yeah. um but it, it got us to get across our campaigns around marriage equality drug law reform um changes to the justice system um climate change but we you know uh, but we could kind of make light yeah. of it
0: yeah I guess um I guess for people listening, I guess we'll bring it back a little bit. Um, but mm. I'm I'm curious, what was uh, your motivations to get into politics? I guess in the beginning.
1: Yeah. <laughs> look, I never wanted yep. to. I, you know, I, I got dragged kicking and screaming um, to the ballot box in 1992 when my. Um, well, my now, my now partner um, approached me about running for election. And I was like, no way, I'm not doing that. Forget it. Like, <laughs> absolutely no. And I had a lot of other stuff going on in my life at the time. And uh, anyway, he um, convinced me. And, and we ran then. And, and I had seen my friends go- joining political parties. I'd seen some of them run for election. And I, I really felt like you left your soul at the door. Mm you know, and and in some ways you left your conscience at the door. So, you know, I you know I think listeners will remember Peter Garrett, and like, he had to sign off on um, a uranium mm. mine, and that was you know, and then that was the the price he had to pay for for being um, you know for being a, a minister in in a labor in a major party. So. We kept thinking that we can make change, affect change from the outside and we kept campaigning and campaigning. And eventually we just we were getting so sick and tired of seeing the community attitudes to a whole range of things going in one direction, yet government policy going in the other. And, you know, I even when we set up the sex party, it wasn't actually to get elected. It was really to take those issues to the ballot box. It was to use the, the election time. And we were probably one of the first parties to do this that – we actually had a real problem with the internet, fil- the proposed internet filters that were going to, f- you know, I mean, they were ridiculous, um, but they they really were going to, ha- I mean, it was a really chilling idea for a, for a federal government to decide to censor the internet. Uh, we had issue. we were campaigning on marriage equality. We were campaigning on drug law reform. We were campaigning on other, cen- other censorship matters. So we thought, let's just take these issues to the ballot box and, you know, we can promote them, we can show the governments of the day that people care about these issues, so much so that they would actually vote for someone called the Sex Party. Anyway, lo lo and behold. um, So it was out of that frustration that we set up the party. And I think as we... You know, as the supporter base grew and more and more people joined the party, and we we had more and more voices in those meeting rooms, uh, in those meetings that we would have always at a pub, that yeah. um, <sighs> and we bribed them with pizza. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> with they, those num, they grew. You know, more and more people came <laughs> for the free pizza and beer, um, and we realised that actually we maybe we did want to. Uh, maybe maybe it was good to have someone actually in the parliament. Mm, mm. Um, and so, yeah, in 2014, um, probably much to most people's astonishment, the Sex Party won a seat in parliament.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing achievement, though. From, you know, from, because it's, you make it sound so, you make it sound so straightforward a little bit and easy in a way, in some ways, because we just decided we needed to do this. We we needed, people needed a voice for this. We met in the pub, we had some pizzas, and all of a sudden we're in 2014, we're in. Here we go. You know, but it's not. And and I'm I'm delighted that because there's obviously so much more that goes in through that, you know, and and, and, and how big of a team did you have around you and support did you have around you? and And were there key influential people already in, political places that were um that were kind of championing what you were doing or was a resistance
1: it's it's actually a really good it's a really good question Mick and I think you know one of the advantages that I that we had was that we were born out of an industry association so um Robbie and I set up the Eros Association which was an industry group for small business operators who ran adult stores who ran online web businesses who you know sold sex toys on and those sorts of things so we came from that base and we also came as lobbyists so he and I and, and probably more me in the later years but for, f- since 1992, so for nearly 20 years, we had been writing to members of parliament. We had been meeting with members of parliament. We had been um, putting forward bills to, to amend legislation. We had been doing all of this work that a lobbyist would do. Um, so we knew people. We 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 were familiar with the processes, but people were familiar with us. Um, and and as I think everybody knows, it's sort of quite the common pathway to politics is that you do student politics, then you get a job in a in a you know MP's office, then you get a job in a minister's office, then you get pre selected. So a lot of the people that were running for election were people that were aunts were staffers who'd been right who'd been answering my letters and taking my meetings and taking my calls so we we was kind of weirdly we were we were actually a known you know kind of seen as a fairly safe um uh, safe option people knew us they knew we weren't even though and we sounded mad, we weren't actually mad. So that enabled us to do preference, like you know, get some favourable preference arrangements with the major parties, and that was in the first instance that included the Liberal Party. That's that's changed a bit in recent times, um, but yeah, I think it's. But it's hard work, and we had a small team. We we had very little money, but we we did have the organ an industry base. So you know, and again, probably not many other parties thought that the way to campaign was to put billboards outside every sex shop in Victoria um, and, you know, and decorate every window of every sex shop and, um, you know, run ads on every adult video site and um, things like that. But we, so we had that bit of infrastructure, but, you know, we were, we would have had, like if, think of the Greens, we probably would have had, Five percent of their budget. Wow! Um, right? If that, so we would have, yeah. So, yeah, bright yellow sex. Um, you know, it was was what we had, what we were relying yeah. on. But it is hard work, and people kind of think. I get lots of people saying, "Oh, I think I'd like to be a politician." <laughs> mm. You know, um, where do I sign up, and how will you get me elected? And it's like, yeah, you know, you, you you've actually you've got to be passionate, but you've also got to understand that. It, it isn't easy to get elected. It, it is a hard slog and you've got to be passionate and you've got to be dedicated mm. um, to do it. Uh, which, And then that bodes well for you once you're in parliament because if you are dedicated and you are passionate, then you're probably going to get stuff
2: done. Yeah. It's interesting because that was going to be a follow-on question. That was because, because of the years that you spent lobbying, because of the years you spent on the other side of it, Pushing, you know, the agendas, trying to push through, which is, which is, you know, frustrating. It takes time. You get knocked back after knockback. Do you think then that 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 positioned you really well to understand when you went in there? Did you have a really clear mind on this is how we can make change, and this is the this is the people we need to make change for, and this is how we need to work with them? Because you were on the other side of it.
1: Yeah. Look, I think in some ways I understood the process. Um, better than other, maybe you know, in a more in a more real way than 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 other than other people from smaller parties or independents. So I did understand the process. I also, you know, knew that whenever you wanted something changed, you had to know what you wanted. So you you had to go in there with a solution. And I know you guys would know that from yeah. Rebuild that you, you you know you've got you've got your objective and. And, and quite often, you know, from a strategic perspective, you then look at what you want to achieve and then work backwards from that. Um, and I think also it gave us a level of um, practicality that that we we knew not to let the perfect get in the way of the good. That, you know, even if you couldn't get absolutely everything you wanted plus puppies, you know, you could at least get, you know, 70% of what you mm. wanted. And at least you could make steps forward. So I think going in there with that attitude. But I tell you, we were completely naive as well. <laughs> you know, we want to change something. I know, let's just write a bill. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's easy. <you> know, <laughs> it's easy. Let's just do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we did know about, like, you know, bringing stakeholders with you, bringing, um, bringing those sto- – being able to tell those stories to effectively um, – deliver your messages mm, mm. and
0: the, the thing that i like the most is like all the causes and um and the stuff that you've got you've gotten through like they're tough causes to to convince people you know and i think that's where like <laughs> mm. what we do at rebuild and what you do have a lot in common um yeah. but like why 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 choose the causes <laughs> that you have chosen <laughs> I know.
1: um Yes, if only I'd just chosen like building yeah. regulations or something, you know, something. <laughs> Put the easy. feet up on the desk uh, in your
0: suite. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> no, sex, death, yeah. and drugs. You know, that's, you know <laughs> <sighs> um, it's look. I, I think that you have. There were things that we were passionate mm. about, um, and you know, I that yeah, and and look, I you know, on on assisted dying. I always knew it was the right thing, and I'd certainly been lobbied um, by campaigners there. But in the in two thousand and fourteen, a man called Peter Short came and spoke to me, and like he was a campaigner from hell, um, also dying of cancer. But like just so strong, he called himself the TikTok man. So every time he woke up, it was just like he had this extra day, and he had this amazing outlook. Anyway, he, you know, we we met and we would argue, and you know, he wanted me to he wanted me to commit to um, putting assisted dying on at the top of my to do list, and I was like mate, I've been campaigning on drug law reform, on justice issues. I've been campaigning on all of these things. And he said, Fiona, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. Eventually, he wore me down and I promised him. Yeah. Um, and that was – and he died soon after that. Um, so I you – know, and, and I promise you I am not religious in any way. But making a commitment to a, pers- a dying person actually really was something I felt very beholden mm. to. Um, So, yes, we knew it was hard, but we also knew that the community was behind us and we knew that 80% of Australians thought we should have better control over end of life. And I, you know, and despite what people think about politicians, they actually generally are pretty representative of the community. And so we knew that, you know, the majority of politicians would also feel that way. And, um, And for the government... And a lot of government members wanted to get this through. They couldn't do it themselves, but they but me pushing from the outside and them needing my vote going forward, um, that kind of created the the the, the perfect recipe f- to allow us to investigate um, to investigate what end of life legislation might look like, f- for example. So yeah. yeah.
0: Nick, like many businesses out there, we're heading back into the office.
2: Yes, we are, Mac.
0: means no more tracksuit pants, mate.
2: And for you, actually wearing trousers. (laughs) But that's not the issue here, Mac. It's not. The issue is, I've been looking around a lot of businesses in the city lately. I've been in there. Were you allowed to be? Well, yes, I was invited in, Mac. But one of the things that strikes me is sanitising bottles everywhere. On the edge of the tables and so forth, receptions and so on. And, and, and it's a need. We all need it. But it doesn't look good. Looks horrible. It doesn't look, doesn't have any style. So you know what we're going to do about it? What are we going to do? We are already doing it. We are making sanitising stations made from handcrafted wood in our prisons by our young people. They are stylish and they hit the need of every business. You can get them tailor-made. You can get the wood that you have on your reception or in your offices. We can use that to actually make them. And every time you use these things, you're going to sanitize in style.
0: I'm loving it. Who thought of that name?
2: Well, Mac, I'm pretty humble. So it was me. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) you have style. Okay. Yeah. But this is the thing. If we get businesses to buy these things and fit out their whole offices, we will create multiple jobs. It's that simple and it's needed. So if you're a business out there, go to www.ymcarebuild.org.au and sanitize in style.
0: I guess moving moving towards uh, what what we're passionate about the spent conviction scheme. Yeah. Now, would you be able to explain what the spent conviction scheme is, just for people listening?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's you know, we we wanted to call it some sort of non disclosure criminal conviction non disclosure yep. scheme. I know that sounds longer because spent convictions doesn't mean anything to people. Yep. But what it means is if you have a criminal conviction, um, so if someone does a a background, you know, a police check comes up with your convictions, if you haven't committed any serious crimes for a long period of time, when people do that that police check, your historical criminal convictions are not um, shown. They're not disclosed. So it means that you can move on. It means that something that you did... You know, years back in your life, um, uh, no does not does not drag you down for the rest of Mm -hmm. your life. That 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 short sentence that 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 you know that moment in your life um, is not with you for your whole life. So if you haven't committed, so say you've got a uh, you know you've got a criminal conviction, um, it it there are some restrictions to this, and if your criminal conviction is not um a serious sex offense or a serious violent offense um if it's not one of those and you haven't reoffended for somewhere between 5 and 10 years it no longer comes up on your history it will come up in certain cases like if you end up back in court it still turns yeah. up so if it's not it's not kind of like wiping the slate clean but it is from the public's perspective mm-hmm. so when you go for a job you're not and they say have you got a criminal c- record you can say no mm-hmm.
2: Which is really important because, and and focusing on that part really is about employment and about career and about job. It, it's right that mm-hmm. it stays there for other things, and, and it's it's like you know it's in someone's file, as I would say, and, yeah. and can be seen uh, if it needs to be. But it's not opened every day, and an employer doesn't get to open it up every day. Um, yeah. And in that way, we we have spent years, and um, I think of. 14 years of work with Bridge Project and Rebuild, working with employers and um, going to employers and and talking to them about employing young people with criminal records. Now, we feel very lucky here because we've been able to have great employers on board who can see through it now. But some can't. Some, some of the times I'd walk in, Fiona, and, and I used to always say the, when an employer's first question to me was, what have they done? It never worked. I basically nearly wrapped up that interview there and then, no matter how yeah. big of an employer, how big of an industry, because I knew if that's where you're coming from right now, we're in a bit of, we're, we're not going to get through it. Yeah. What, what what was being so great was that most of the employers trusted in what we did, trusted in the information that we had, and yeah. they were able to say, let's say nine times out of ten, they wouldn't ask. And we used to say, let them prove themselves as a, and, as a co-worker, as an employee and a co-worker first. And if at a later stage... We want to then disclose this to staff and all that. They'll have been through all that, and it'll be received very differently than it will be on day yeah. one. Um, but it sits there, and a lot of young people that we work with don't want to go for jobs or don't want to, don't know how to approach that conversation. They lie, and then it comes up, and they get caught with that, and then yeah. they get let go. Whereas, you know what you're what you're saying takes away all of that. It removes all of that and gives a person a fair opportunity to be an employee, to be a co-worker to do exactly like everyone else is doing on that floor of a of a warehouse or whether yes. it's in an office or whatever. And that is yes. super important because that's, the, that's why we got into the work that we did was to yes. try and break that barrier down. And and, and employers, you know, respond like, they, they, as I said, they didn't want to know mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. But the young person was the person who was affecting because they didn't know how to deal with this, and and then yeah. what would happen is if someone knew them or something else, if, especially in regional, that was a real problem because mm. everyone knows everyone's business there, yeah. Um, and that became a bit of an issue. So I think as well, the disclosure thing is so so important. How was it? Um, how was it received? Um, when you first brought this up, because it, people, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later. This is because yeah. I'm going to get into this a bit later. This bill took a while. Like and a lot of people, we try and educate our listeners, and I think today we had a mm. great opportunity for you to educate our listeners a little yeah. bit on how the processes work as well. Because yeah. this was introduced, I think, back in February two thousand and nineteen. Correct me if I'm wrong on it. Is but it didn't really. It's not really going to come into play till December this year. Is that correct? And in between, it's been a <clears> bit of in between. Can you talk us through that because it's it's people wouldn't understand yeah. this. No, that's right.
1: So I mean, one of the things is I you know in my time I have put up a lot of bills and pieces of legislation, whether that was to set up safe access zones around abortion clinics, or I put up a bill to legalise Uber, um, uh, and and certainly the spent convictions bill. Um, They're private members' bills. I've been successful in getting most of them to become law, but none of them have got my name on them. they are are all government bills. So by putting up a, so I put up the bill, you're absolutely right, it did take, it has taken time. I put up the bill at the beginning of 2019. I knew I had support. And, you know, I had support from, you know, almost every, there was very few people who opposed a spent conviction scheme. So when you were looking at all of the, Kind of community law centres, um, all of the academics, um, a lot of the Aboriginal groups were really behind this. Um, so I had all of this, you know, great support. Salvation Army, you know, everybody uh, put the board the bill up. The government's like, well, yeah, it's a good idea, but we don't want to do it. Uh, we, you know, we're not going to pass your legislation. Mm. Um, and I almost, ha- I had the numbers for my legislation, so I could have passed it myself, but I wouldn't have got it through the other house. Anyway, they said, would you agree to having an inquiry? Um, so you take the bill, you then have an inquiry into what a spent conviction scheme might look like in Victoria. And so we d- we undertook that process. And you know what? That was the best thing that we actually did, because what I put to Parliament was really conservative. And it was really limiting what, after that six month process of the inquiry, where we we had we had people coming, we had some really great like open mic nights with people who had convictions, and we we did it in we you know they didn't have to give their name, so they didn't have to disclose, but they could talk about the impact that their criminal conviction had had on their lives and that had, had had on their families and their careers and et cetera. So we just had this really great um, process. And, you know, we went out, we went out country with Aboriginal people and we just had a really great process. And at the end of it, I was like, you, you know, I, I had moved entirely and we set up a much more flexible scheme. You know, we we set up a scheme that is um, is actually a lot um a lot more liberal than most of the other schemes around the country. And that was the recommendations from that committee. Then the next job is to get the government to adopt those recommendations. And they've got six months to do that. And that's when a lot of the fierce lobbying goes into it. So, yes, yeah, so you started in 2019. You did the report. We did the report towards the end of 19. We had we then had the government introduce the legislation the following year, and then it, and then the yeah, as you say, it becomes law at the end of this year. Um, it and it so it is a long process, and and legislation quite often is. Um, frankly, we should have had a spent conviction scheme back in the nineties. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was this was so overdue, um, and and I don't actually think it's it's still not perfect but it is a lot mm. better. Um, and I, you know, I think it kind of, it also, it goes back to your things of discrimination. So, and part of the recommendations was that we change the discrimination laws, so you can't be discriminated against um, for an irrelevant conviction. Um, and then we've also set up systems. So like what you're doing, that we're going out there and educating employ, employers to look at the person and not use a criminal conviction as the as a as a culling device, and we've seen that in some of those you know in those big companies, even like fruit picking companies, they do background checks, and everyone who's got you know who comes back with with something on the sheet just gets pushed to the no pile, regardless of who that person is. So it's about looking, yeah, in in getting people to look at the person again.
2: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I used to always explain to employers as well, it's like how you read something. On a page, is very different to what's actually happened. Mm. And we used to have right. all the stories, so I used to say to, like, I still say to employers, I go, I know more about this young person. We know more about this young people we're supporting mm. than any, you'll know about anyone that's on your work. Like most of the people yeah. on your work floor, and I can guarantee yep. there's secrets out there. There's things that's happened out there that mightn't have, you know, mightn't come to light but we know exactly what's happened here with this young yeah. person, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that's interesting too, you know, from an employer's point of view as well.
1: Exactly. And I think also when you when you actually look, and we're just in the middle of a justice inquiry, and, you know, I'd encourage any of you listeners um, to to get onto the, the, the Parliament webpage and look up the justice inquiry because there's just amazing um, submissions there. But what... What we know is that for many people, getting you know, brushing up against the justice system has got to do with being a victim of crime yourself, um, uh, and definitely it's link, It can be linked to poverty and disadvantage. Um, so, you know, we're, we're talking about some people who have been marginalised all their lives. Um, Yeah, and whether that means that they've become homeless, or whether that means that they've been self-medicating to deal with trauma, which then brushes them against the justice system, so you know, and so we're we're punishing, you know, without a spent conviction scheme or without an understanding, we're punishing people for the for where they were born. And who they were born to, and and how their lives, and probably their parents and their grandparents' lives, emerge. So, you know, for for many people, this is just It, beca- it does become this life sentence, and we we we're, we're still punishing people. And I think, yeah, things like spent convictions, and but also just educating people that even that brush on the criminal justice system sometimes can actually make someone a better mm. person. Um, they they have to think about who they are sometimes in a far deeper way than than many other people who have not had to you know go go through yeah
0: that. like a lot, a lot of people have issues and they bottle it all up uh, where mm. is a lot of a lot of the young guys that we work that we work with there are uh, they're forced in a way to uh, to tackle those issues now um, you know and address them while they're while they're younger that so they don't affect mm. Um, their lives you know 10 20 yeah. years down the track
1: and and i would love to see and i think one of you know what we, in fact we were talking to this young woman she'd spent a oh, she'd spent quite a few years in in prison but she really had to dig deep while she was there and and i'm really pleased that the prison actually had that process for her because i know a lot of people don't get that that in prison but you know what she'd love to do is work with prisoners she'd actually love to be go back into the prisons but because she's got a record she can't go back into the prisons and it's kind of like she's the person you want in there she's the person you want in there giving people that the optimism that that you know that this can be life-changing and yet sometimes we are excluding some of those people and I think we need to become spent convictions is one thing but I think we need to be Really starting to try and, and, you know, look at people for who they are across the board and, you know, and recognise some of the skills that, yeah, life experience gives you.
2: Yeah, well said. And that, that is another part as well is bringing the young people in to tell their stories. We have we have young mm-hmm. people on this podcast for that same reason, to share their stories, to share their experience. Um, and if it can change, it can help someone who's probably experiencing the same thing or it can be help a parent yeah. whose son or daughter is experiencing the same thing. Yeah. Then it, it makes a massive difference. And, and we've been yep. really surprised, like, like, not surprised, but taken back a little bit, I suppose, or heartened by the young people that we've interviewed. Mm. They've come in very nervous and doing the interview because they don't know what, you know, what's the podcast going to be about. They leave like floating because, yeah. and they all say, just go, thank you for giving me that opportunity to speak. And thank you um, for allowing me to tell mm. my story. I hope it can help someone else. That's from you know, that's Uh because they've never had that platform and that and you can just think what they can do for other people as well. It's something that I think, you know, I know certain prisons will do look at, but if you have a certain, you know, crimes or you have a certain time from release, you can't go back Mm -hmm. into the into the system to help. And you know, we speak to people over in America um, who do, you know, um, do this work, and they they can do that, yeah. and they are being able to do that, and they can see the impact that it's having. So hopefully, that's something that we can change. Maybe that's your next thing, uh, Fiona. We we'll just put that down, and um, you can make that happen, can yeah. yeah. you? Look, yeah, next okay. week. <laughs> I mean, I,
1: I have to say, look, I have to say, I mean, I I, I think our justice system is completely fucked. Um, you know. <laughs> I don't think that's how I'm going to be able to say it in the report. But that's, I <laughs> might have to is. use a few more words. But you know, um, but it is, and it's, it's 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 failing people. You know, we've got, you know, we know that if we send a young kid into the justice system, that we've pretty much given them, you know, the 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 get into jail free card that they will actually uh, this this will be a cycle through through their life. And not for everyone, but for a lot of people. So, you know, and and we're doing it because people are disadvantaged because you know their family violence, because of trauma, you know, um, drug misuse, all of mm-hmm. these things. And you know, like I, I just I, I despair at at this our systems and how we're not investing in employment. We know that's the biggest protector. Mm-hmm. You know, we so we're not putting that money in there. You know, we spent, I was looking at some figures, we spent $2 million on um, uh, early intervention with women. We've just spent $280 million building 100 more beds at the women's prison. Yep. I I mean, those are bloody expensive yeah. beds for a start. Yeah. And it's a $2 million bed. You know, imagine if you gave someone a $2 million house or you gave, you invested half that money in that person and their family, mm.
2: um, you know. Yep, absolutely. And hopefully that <laughs> shift is there. Like, and that's, look, that's what we channel our work to do. and um you know, and we feel very strongly about being able to do that. And I know not just us; many other organisations, many other social enterprises, yeah. all feel that they have they can do this work. You know, and if they're yeah. getting the funding, the investment in, um, yeah. we're proven to be able to have these amazing outcomes with the support, because mm. um, you don't do it alone. Like we've never mm. done no. this alone. We don't do this alone. We do this. We do this hand in hand with 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 um, you know government but we do it hand in hand Mm -hmm. as well with the business sector as well and it only works with them three people aligned in knowing where we're going and what's the end and and how we're going to get there and being a bit brave um, as -hmm. well you know um, because not every system works and and i feel that sometimes you know you need to have innovation in this space you yeah. need to have some flexibility you need to trust in the organizations that just because it's not the certain way you've done it for the last 10 20 20 mm. years and how you fund models and how you do that doesn't mean that's that's not going yeah. to be the better way it doesn't mean it can't be the better way because it can mm. in many cases because yeah. there's so many amazing brains out there who are looking at this this is this is their livelihood Every day mm. they wake up, they think about this, they go to bed sometimes thinking about this, they mm. wake up in the middle of the night thinking about this. It's yeah. These are the people that can make change and I think they more and more um, need to be listened to and, and more and more that funding needs to be put in different kind of ways of doing this. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you can't have a majority doing it one way, it just means you just even open up that that percentage for that innovative way, just to try some new things, and what That's else can right. you what else can you lose? We can't lose anything from it. I don't think you can only gain. Yep. So hopefully, Ex-
1: absolutely, yeah, I totally agree. Oh, obviously, I totally agree. But, um, and I think you know what you guys are doing is is amazing. And you know, the more employers we can get to understand that, and we know sometimes like young young people need support. You know, young people, you know, particularly if they've been brushing up against the justice system, there's a bloody good chance that they've actually probably come from a household that hasn't had, you know, long-term employment mm. records and, you know, just – or hasn't had a, you know, priority on education or school or things like that. So – you, or they, you know, for whatever reason, they haven't been able to stay in, in a, you know, solid family structure – so these people so people do need some support, but that is money so well spent. you know mm. like I'm sure for every dollar that you that that government invests in you, i'm 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 hazarding a guess it'd be about ten dollars saved in the rest of the system. Um, but, you know, we know that early intervention, we know that employment opportunities support with some support to get so young people understand getting to work on time,
2: understand, you know. Yeah. Mm, mm. There's so many hidden costs in it, you know, the hidden costs mm. of, there's really easy to say one person, you can keep it a justice for this amount of period of time equals that, but that's only one part of it. That doesn't yeah. accumulate like how it saves on court, police, damages to the community. Exactly. And then, if they're a repeat offender, if you don't get them at a certain mm. age and they go from the age of whatever, like it can go as low as 12, 13, 14, yeah. 15, If they go all the way through the system to like, their 40 years of age, it's millions upon millions upon millions. Mm. Mm-hmm. If you can nip that mm-hmm. at a, if you can get that at a certain yep. point with an investment that is so minute compared to the millions, and I'm talking millions that one person is going to generate. Yep. And in the system, it's incredible. It's mind blowing.
1: I mean, I look. We we will lock up a fifteen year old boy, and it'll cost us two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to do that. Mm. Now, I just I would ask anyone in the community: Do you think locking up a fifteen year old and spending two hundred and fifty thousand dollars is is that best use of that money? You know. I mean, you could send that kid to the best schools, they could have tennis lessons and overseas skiing holidays, (laughs) Um, you know, and you could actually um, show love and respect and care for that person because, you know, if you go to Parkville or you go to um, Malmesbury, you know, you look at those places and you just think, if you wanted to show someone that you didn't give a shit about them, that's where you'd send them. You know, if you actually wanted to show you cared, you'd care, you'd look at their family and go, Right, what do we need? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we need here? We need someone to cover the rent, done. You know, we need some, st- we need to, you know, introduce some structure, done. Um,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And anyway, look, and, and we always say as well, if we, we, um, People sometimes think that we, you know, advocate for, you know, people to get away with stuff and do, and all. it's not mm. that at all. Like I keep coming back to, it. We're, we're not saying, that people say, you know, be tough on crime. We always say, yeah, you know, you can be tough on crime or you can be tough on rehabilitation. And I think mm. that's where we mm. kind of sit, you know. Yeah. We want to be able to, the young people that work for us don't get a free ride. They, they we are on their case, working with them yeah. consistently, mentoring them, challenging them all the time. It's it's yeah. easier for them not to be with us. Mm. You know, and yeah. um, but when when they're with us, we will show that love, we will show that respect, yeah. we will, you know, humanize it, we will we do all of that. But at the same time, mm. you bet you bet you we're challenging them. You bet you that mm. when they don't turn up for work, they don't just get away with that. Like we at, we're we yeah. wanna know why do not in work, but we wanna help them through why they not in work. We wanna mm. make sure that they, they learn from that because they're so used to, young people are so used to when they make a mistake, that's it. And their mechanism is I've screwed up again. That's who I am. I'm happy with that at the moment. Yeah. That's my safety net and yeah. I'm away. See you later. You won't get near me again. And we're like, no, hang on a minute. And now we're at you again. No, no, no. We're not giving mm. up on you. You've got to come back into work. We're going to do this again. Mm. And then it happens again. And we're back at them again. And suddenly the penny drops and going, why are you doing this? Yeah. Why are you still yeah. with me? Why are you still believing? me? Because yeah. no one else has. And that's what yeah. we kind of want to, to, to yeah. you need to break that kind of mindset in it. Because it's too strong the other way at the moment, especially in younger younger guys that we work with, Mm. they're they're still on that path where they kind of are nearly happy to be connected to who they're connected to, committing offences and so forth. And to break that's harder, but it can be done. But, you know, it needs a bit of investment and it needs a little bit of uh, lateral thinking on it. Yeah.
1: That's right. And the earlier you can do that, the better. So, you know, we were looking at some statistics on Monday that – when you the they call you know the crime statistics was looking at like chronic offenders so these are people who've had ten or more offences um, and the majority of them their first offence was when they were under fourteen their first brush or their first brush with the justice system was there so you kind of think if you could have wrapped some services and some support around that person then um, that would have changed the trajectory of their life and you know we like the the young people that you're seeing and the young people that I see who've who've it's been hard to turn their life around it's been hard to take on the responsibility of work to take on the responsibility of your own actions Mm. you know it that that isn't easy it's not easy for anyone but it's it's harder when people have had just a rough start in life as well that's
0: it. yeah and i think um it, a lot of it comes down to like the laws that we have in place because you know they they can the like mm. as much as we can convince businesses and that sort of stuff um and and government the the people we really have to convince the most that they're they're human beings they're part of our community mm. is our young people that are that yeah. are getting in trouble
1: yeah yeah yeah, I think that just sorry, this it just makes makes a point that you know I've heard employers say I'm happy to take someone with a criminal conviction unless it's a drug conviction. Yeah, and I'm like really, yeah, <laughs> uh, okay, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But you know the the fact that we are still um, sending people to prison for being in possession or use of substances um, is just crazy. Mm. You know if if we were offering help. Um, That, you know, we we could achieve so much more. And I think, you know, that's certainly something we'll be pushing for is to change the laws around drug possession. It's still drug possession, like not trafficking, possession is still in the top five offences. And we're still, I think we're arresting like 30,000 people a year.
2: Yeah. And I know you're campaigning in, uh, around, um, we'll talk a little bit, this is a good segue in, mm. um, I want to get to the safe injecting centres. Really? Oh, I want to get yes. there because that's, you know, obviously a big yeah. thing that I think you did an amazing walk on. But you're also campaigning um, um, with cannabis use as well, aren't you? Um, mm. On two fronts, I think is also, you know, being able to, with medicinal cannabis, to be able to drive um, and so forth, but then also um, cannabis use, legalisation of, of yeah. cannabis use, uh, or cannabis, sorry, should I say, in uh, Victoria as yep. well. Can you talk to you a little bit about, what you know, where your well, thoughts think, are coming yeah. from on that and where you're at with it?
1: Like the first thing on medicinal cannabis, so people can get cannabis now for for medicinal purposes, they can go to a doctor, they can be prescribed it. It's a real, it's it's not an easy process and it's expensive. But for many people, this is for the first time they feel alive. They're not on copious amounts of benzodiazepines or on large doses of opioids. For the first time, they've been able to manage their pain or manage their anxiety or manage this and get a good night's sleep and wake up in the morning and get back into life but if they get roadside drug tested and they're found to have a sca- any any level of THC in their system, um, they they lose their license. And this is so unfair. Like they're they're allowed to drive while they're using opioids. They're allowed to drive. You know the, the packet the packet says you know don't drive if you're feeling you know impaired. Mm-hmm. Now that's that's all we want for medicinal cannabis patients. Don't drive if you're feeling impaired. But if you're feeling okay. Um, why should you be excluded from driving just because of the medicine that you take? So we're running, we're kind of running that campaign, but I think over 30% of Australians have used cannabis and I I suspect that's quite a conservative number. Um, So the current prohibition is not working. And so we are Um, criminalising people for choosing to use a substance and for many of them they choose to use cannabis over alcohol. They choose to use cannabis, you know, over um, prescription medications. You know, why are we criminalising cannabis use and in doing so creating this multi-billion dollar market for crime Mm. syndicates? So, you know, this is an industry that's worth literally billions of dollars. And you can see the big busts on TV every time you like. I can tell you, the price of cannabis has not changed. So we know that that's not working. And what we do know is that also young people are more likely to be using cannabis. So you, if you criminalise young people for something like that, You then set them on that path of a criminal conviction, of then difficulties getting employment, getting travel, study, um, and you just set up a whole bunch of barriers for someone. So what if we were able to regulate it and control it? We'd be able to talk to people about the harms, because it's not harmless. We'd be able to talk to people about the harms. We'd be able to control who bought it, what was sold. You know, people worry about high, really high THC skunk kind of products out there. Well, we could control that if we regulated it the same as we do with alcohol. You know, I don't know a single um, dealer who's probably, well, there probably actually are, but, you know, I use this as rhetoric, but, you know, drug dealers are not asking for people's ID. No. No. You know, so if you want to restrict people from using, if you want to restrict young people from using cannabis, how about you put it in an age-restricted premises um, that it can only be sold to to older people? Now, you know, we're, and yeah, I, I just think taking as much out of, taking things like this out of the criminal justice system, taking laws that don't work and, and reforming laws that don't work into systems that do work. You know, more kids smoke cannabis than they do tobacco today. Mm. Um, and that's because we've been really great with our education campaigns on tobacco, because we can, because it's legal. It's a product we can talk about. You know, but the only ads you see for bloody cannabis, you know, education is things like the sloth, you know, I don't know if you guys saw the sloth ads in New South Wales where they, you know, oh, this person's really dopey because they've smoked cannabis. And like every young person who has smoked cannabis looked at that and went, that is
0: ridiculous. Yeah. Or they'd laugh their head um, off. Uh...
1: Or they'd laugh their head off. And also, look at the money. Like, that is a multi-billion dollar industry. Why are we giving it to criminals? Yeah. Why are we not reinvesting that money into our health systems, into um, our education systems? So to me, it's a no-brainer. And we're seeing what Canada's doing, Uruguay's doing, most of America's doing, Europe's going mm. that way. Mexico, um, New Zealand nearly went there. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's about time we changed our laws on not only cannabis, I think on all mm. drugs, but cannabis is one that I think is, yeah, probably more acceptable.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You're right. There's test studies everywhere. It's like across the world, it's moving in different ways. It's a mm. really interesting yeah. um, point um, that you make as well. I want to move on to the, to the, to the, um, yeah. safe injecting um mm. which was which was it's it was and it still is i believe you know um something that that's talked about a lot you know um yeah. and it's it's media obviously it's a it's, a, it's media gold this you know mm. um i reckon um now i used to i used to i used to work as a drug and alcohol worker when i first came to australia yeah. um and um it opened my eyes up to you know to, to to the whole mm. whole system and so forth as well. And one of the biggest things that struck me when I when I worked, um, I used to work for um Ass, um, yeah, and and was um, great. did a great work. And mm. um, I spent four years there, which was amazing, um, learning for me. But one of the things that got me when I first worked there was was talk of harm minimization. Yeah. And this approach of harm minimization where it was like, no, you don't just making people, just, yeah, you come in, you quit and you're, you, that's you. You either, you're, it's either you're either using drugs or you're not using drugs. Yeah. There's no in between. Um, yeah. and very much this this talk about harm minimization, you know, so you know, you're moving people from more mm. dependent drugs or, or really, really bad drugs. Like I know people a lot of chroming was happening back then and, mm. and and it was just terrible for what it would do to the brain. You know, it was trying to reduce that or maybe move it on if, it was, if they were smoking large amounts yeah. of quantities of, of um cannabis to reduce. And this was just fascinating to me that we were looked that this approach was there. It made sense. Now mm-hmm. Talk me through the because there's been a lot of campaigning, a lot of rallying for this as well. Um, I'd love you to talk us through, you know, the early stages of this, how how you were able to, you know, obviously put the build forward, but also gather and gain the support around this. And then I also want you to touch on the um the challenges you had, uh, if you did have many. Um, I can see you smiling sort of a few Fiona, and 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 how you were able to you know walk with them groups if you were to kind of land where it is yeah. now
1: look it's 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 actually it's actually a long story but it, I, I certainly i stood on the shoulders of giants like there was many people who came before me and we saw this you know during the the sort of the in the 1990s when there was more well actually it's funny you say that. i mean there was more people dying from heroin than they were dying from the road toll and, in fact, the Herald Sun, on its letters to the editor's page, used to run the the mm. the um the numbers. Uh, and they, we nearly got an injecting centre back then in the 90s. We had the Uniting Church behind it. We had all of these – we had the two, pr- you know, the premiers, the future, Kennett and Brax, both promising it, but it just never got up. And the police were somewhat resistant in those days. Um, I, you know, when – there was a there was there was a tipping point, and the coroner wrote the, the coroner's court wrote their fifth report pleading for a supervised injecting room, um, in Melbourne, but specifically in Richmond, because you know, and this young woman died. She died of an overdose in the toilets of a fast food restaurant, um, just off Hoddle Street, and it was. It was such a tragedy. She had she had a young daughter. She had a family that loved her. And the coroner said, we could have saved that person's life had we had a supervised injecting room. And for many in that community, that was the final straw. So this wonderful woman called Judy Ryan kind of set up this campaign there. And her and I met in the coroner's court when we were watching the the, the coroner's um, case on Miss A, we met there. But then we were joined by the Salvation Army um, and we were joined by a whole bunch of St. Vincent's Hospital. We were joined by a whole bunch of people. Then I, you know, cut and pasted the bill, the the legislation from New South Wales and, you know, certainly um, I completely plagiarised it, uh, which was good because there was a model that had worked and had been there for 10 years. Fifteen years, so it was it was worthwhile doing that. We st- and we started campaigning, and I went to the unions. So I went to the Ambos, to the Fireys, and because they were the ones who were having to pick up people and try and save their lives in back alleys of Richmond. And then I um then I went to the police. And I knew that was going to be my hardest one, but it will in actual fact, stepping back a minute, the first person I went and saw was the police commissioner and said, I want to do this. And I want you to t- commit to talking to your colleagues in New South Wales and see what they say. And he did and they endorsed it. So then I went to the police union and that was more problematic They're a really conservative organisation. That was a much, much harder. But I was using that argument, Mick, around harm minimisation. Like, you know, you will not bust someone going to a needle exchange to get a needle. You know that they're about to use drugs, with illicit drugs with that. You know they've probably even got those illicit drugs in their pocket when they go and get those needles. But you don't bust them because you know that that needle will make you know, stop them from getting HIV, stop them from getting hepatitis, you know, it's harm reduction. And and they kind of got that argument. And so it was like, so now we're giving people needles and we're sending them off to possibly go and die. The police finally, the, the, long story, but finally got them over the line. And the government just kept giving me other barriers, yeah. you know. Okay, well, you got the police. They said, well, what about the Herald Sun? <laughs> yeah, you know, I bet you can't get them anyway. I did. I got the Herald Sun to support it. Um, can't say they're that supportive right now about it, but at the time I got their support, and we just kept getting support after support after support. That in the end, the premier made the call, and 23 people had died in a um, basically a, not even a, a, like a th- like a 300 square meter area of of Melbourne so it was a no brainer to say if we want to save people um mm-hmm. and then we need we need to set this injecting center up and we need to set it up here now look there was a whole bunch of other stuff that happened but in the end we got that center it is saving lives and i think you know it's more importantly it's saying to someone we care whether you live or die mm-hmm. Um, and that, so to me, the, the injecting room is the kind of um, the lost leader on this. It's actually getting people in the door where, you know, we're now provide, you know, they can get dental treatment while they're there. Uh, you know, we can, we've got lawyers coming in. We've got um, homelessness services coming in. We've got, you know, we're starting to see people move on to, you um, know, you know, some replacement therapies, whether that's methadone or, or other service, you know, other replacement therapies. So, I it's doing amazing work. It's, um, but it's not a panacea. It's not the absolute answer. Mm. But it was, a, it was a pretty big, um, yeah. It was a, it was a community campaign. It was a campaign of lots of people. But um, I think someone, I think someone probably is writing a book about it because um, it was a real amazing yeah. campaign.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Credit to the work that he's doing that because that's a, that's a tough one, you know, you, you know, yeah. from working in an industry that was a tough one and still is. Mm. Like you still mm. see, you know, you, you'll see still articles on it. You'll still see it pop up. Oh. It's close to a school. It's, you know, because it's in Richmond as well. It's, you know, yeah. th- th- this is what you're going to face. But I suppose on other side of that, I always think, well, what was there before? Like where were where were these people before? <laughs> if there if there's only one person, two people there, maybe there was ten or twenty or fifteen around that area like that, you know. So like, what is that like? I don't, I hmm. I, I kind of you know, I, I, it's an interesting one. It's one that won't go away. That's it. That's a I I think one of them debates, one of them things where we yeah. in society and community, people have views one way. Or the other, and I I yeah. find it really interesting if I'm in if I'm well when we used to go to things remember things called parties and <laughs> uh, get together remember them, you're still in a party you can just but it's not the ones that I was ever good at <laughs> or, or, or what I was going through. but um yeah but you know you you, you I, recently I was in a conversation there was someone talking about it and I was just. And, you know, you're sitting there going, do I say something, do I not say? you know what I mean? And, and I kind of was, you know, mm. talking about it a little bit and just really strong, avid views. Like, look, like there was, like, and you kind of realise you're never changing this view. Yeah. But it was yeah. just really interesting to listen to it and kind of just hear from the other side. Because I think you need to hear it sometimes from the other side to know yeah. what you're, how you're able to kind of walk within that and make that change or or, or whatever. You're never going to change everyone. Yeah. Well, you kind of need to know where they're coming from, but it's still very strongly opposed by a lot of people in the community.
1: Well, you would know from why. I mean, still today, the overdose death rate in Victoria is double the road, road toll. Mm. And and we keep talking about what do we need to do to invest towards zero mm. for our road toll. We're investing millions and billions of dollars into road safety, Yet we are letting hundreds of people accidentally die from overdoses. Now, they're, they're not all injecting drug users by any means. Um, in fact, most of them have died from an overdose from a prescription medication. Um, people don't, you know, people, people's eye, eyes of an opioid user is that person, you know, kind of nodding off in a, in a side street in Richmond, where in actual fact, you know, we've, the you know hundreds of people are dying from opioid overdoses and they're, and they they're not necessarily those people in the street mm. so we have to change the attitude to, to to save lives so those people who say just stop or you know what's wrong with these people they're just druggies and things like that that the the face of a drug user is is you know is is much more varied than people than people imagine
2: it's yeah. interesting, and, and a lot of it as well is that what people what, and why this is why we're talking about this. I think is interesting. because well, there's a link. There's a link with the justice system, and be like mm. you know, a lot of our young people um, that commit offences and so forth. There's a very high percentage linked to drug use at yep. that time. You know, and um, yep. so they kind of do go, not always, but they do go hand in hand a lot of the time. You know, a lot of our yep. young people don't commit offences when you know um, they're just you know in work. They, that's why mm-hmm. I say to employers, like. Hundred percent of our guys don't commit offences when they're employed, when they're in a job. That's it right. doesn't happen yeah. there. It happens outside mm. of work, and you know when mm. we are not, in, we're not around them, and so forth. Yeah. So, it's a, it, by doing what you're doing there, and by, by these safe injection rooms, it's having mm. an, it's having a kind of a effect. It's a hidden yeah. kind of not, not as obvious, but it's obviously playing a part in reducing you know justice cases and reducing court cases and reducing stuff like that as well. Mm. Where do you yeah. think the next stage, the next stage is with, with with what we're doing like you've talked about cannabis use you've talked to you know you've talked about you know the safe injecting rooms and obviously is there a proposal for more to 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 be introduced i know in the, the city there was there was some talk yeah. and what do you see is as, as a as something that's on the horizon that you think could be the next step after Look,
1: I, I think um you know and and i'm 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 copying i i when i was in i was in canada um and I was in Vancouver, and I was walking. I was going around um, the east side of Vancouver, which has got really high heroin use, really high fentanyl use, really high overdose. And I was walking around with the police, and and um, and I. And it turned out that the guy who was taking us around, the head of the police there, it was his last day. He was retiring, and I said, "Well, what would you do?" And he said, "I would just give every single person on this street who needs heroin heroin." If they need heroin, give it to them, because what we're doing is they're having to they're they're fun, we're funding criminal organisations with this very small cohort of really um, damaged just the wrong way, but but really vulnerable people. So I actually think some heroin trials I would like to see. That we actually were able to provide, even if it's not heroin, if it's something like hydromorphone, that's an injectable that it has almost the same effect as heroin. But if you can break that nexus between drug use and criminal behaviour, um, and whether that's the crime of buying the drugs from from a, a dealer or probably dealing yourself so you can afford your habit, or having to steal, a, you know, having to, to to break and enter or shop steal or whatever it might be to to fund to, to pay for for the drugs if we can break that nexus then I think we can have quite a revolutionary effect on um, on on drug use itself but but also on our criminal justice system because you're right like most well over half the people who hit the justice system um, are, are using at the mm. time hmm mm and using illicitly. So, yeah. So I would say get heroin in there. I would decriminalise. I don't think anyone should be arrested for using drugs or possessing it. Um, I think if we took a different approach to them and, and you know, offered pathways um, at that time, because a criminal record is, you know, that's just, that just sets up a roadblock to that person going forward. If we could look at another uh, another pathway for that person, um and some will need more help than others. But if we could provide pathways for people rather than jailing mm. them, uh, again, that could have a really mm. enormous, you know, enormous effect. And if we didn't spend billions of dollars on prisons, we could be spending it on education, on infrastructure, on well-being, on mental health, you know, all of the things that we would, on environment, the things that we should be spending our money on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, well said. Well said, Fiona. Well said. Um I just want to touch on, if it's possible, just um, on your political career. Yeah. Mm. And obviously, you know, um, I've been very lucky to work with lots of amazing politicians over the time. Yeah. And, and I've seen some that have um, lasted long times, long careers, short careers, some, you know, challenging in, in certain ways. Um I'd like to touch on a few things because you're, you're mm. such a, um, you know, you from the outside looking in, Fiona, you are a strong, resilient, you know, absolute game changer of a politician who just like fighting mm. for the rights and so forth. But I think while having you as a guest, it'd be, we would really be interested to just get your take on how is it changing for females in politics um, at the moment, you would say in Victoria, maybe nationally, maybe globally, because, mm. um, you know, why I ask this question is like we want to build the next leaders. We want to build the next, you know, Fiona Pattons. We want to build the next, you know, young females like that can mm-hmm. that can aspire to be doing the work that say you're doing or other females mm-hmm. are doing. Great females are doing in politics, yeah? yeah. But there's this still this little thing that I fear that that hangs over is the is the is the environment that they have to walk within. Yeah, and I'm really interested to to have your insights into this. Um, mm. Especially someone that's coming into politics from mm. the party which we 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 started off with with the name of Sex Party as well. Yeah. And um, can you shed some yeah. some some of that as well? Some light on that.
1: I um, I, I think uh, you know it it is a good time for women in politics, and we need more of them. We need more of pe- women at the boardroom and in and 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 in the and in the parliament. And you know that, and I'm sure that most of us know that when there's a, when there's a balance at the table, you get a more balanced approach, you get a more balanced response. And, you know, studies have shown us that, you know, even companies that have um, a gender balance in their, in their board, in their, um, actually are more successful because they've got a, they've got a broader community view. so I think it's really important for our country to have more women and but I think the culture of Parliament is still um, look if, if it's last century it may even be the century before. Um, it, we may still be stuck in sort of 19th century um, politics and that has to change. And I, I see it, you know. we started with talking about youth parliament, um, and the um, and you see, you know, you see, particularly when they're in the chamber. Not online it's a little bit more difficult, but when they're in the chamber, you get this kind of confected outrage, you know, that people oppose for the sake of opposing, and and we have this really oppositional um, style, and the what people see of politics is um, question time where. You know, it's not answer time because everybody yells, so you can't hear the answer, even if you wanted to. And it's just this really um, oppositional approach, which is actually not what polit- what politics and parliament's about. Like the the committee process for voluntary assisted dying, the committee process for spent convictions for cannabis. You know, it's largely done by consensus, um, and. We need to change the, the face of what politics is. And I think also politicians, you know, when they get up and say, you know, the Premier's an idiot and the Premier gets up and says and the opposition leader doesn't know what they're talking about and they're a liar and, you know, we we denigrate our politicians and our politicians denigrate politicians. And I think we need to that change that story. We need to be respectful of each other. We need to play well in the sandpit and I think that, like if I, you know, you, you look at it, you look at the roar and the madness of question time, and you think, why would on earth would I want to do that? Mm. You know, in New South Wales, the their legislative assembly is called the bear pit because it's so primitive and, you know, um, and mm. aggressive. And, yeah, I I hope we see more young, we, we need to see more young people taking that step and, um, but we also, yeah, we do need to see. We need to see that great range of people with different lived experiences, mm-hmm. um, bringing their stories and their and being able to represent the the community in a much more fulsome way. You know, when you've just got a bunch of lawyers sitting around, um, you, you're not really going to get the voice of the the broad voice of our community.
0: Yeah, no, mm-hmm. well said. That's that's really good and. Speaking of stories, I'm uh, making my way through uh, oh. Fiona patent Sex, Drugs, and the Electoral Roll, actually, at the moment. <laughs> Great name for a book. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and oh, I'm loving it because it doesn't sound like a politician's memoir.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks, uh. Mark. I, I, um, look, it was weird when we, when I, like, again, th- things that happen in pubs, yeah. you know, I was, I, I, I have, I've, I'm an ex smoker now, but. Um I, I was out, I was used to smoking, I was out in a pub in Sydney and I was on the back veranda smoking and talking to this woman and we'd had a few wines and I was telling her who I was and she was going, oh my God, have you written a book? I'm like, no. <laughs> and she said, well... I work for a publishing house and we'd really love to publish your book. You know, will you write a book? And, like, and the next morning I was like, did that really yeah. happen? And, you know, so we contacted her. But I, I then I think when, it took me ages to do it and um, I don't think it I, – I just – it became – it actually became a bit of a slog and I, I kind of got through it. it. never occurred to me that anyone was going to yeah. read it. Like I just – you know, so when I realised that people were reading it, I was like, oh – had I thought about that, maybe I wouldn't have put that in the book. <laughs> like, maybe I wouldn't have said that. But, you know, it's out there uh, now.
0: It's it's actually, it's really refreshing because I know that, it's, uh, like, mm. this is actually the first um, uh, yeah politician book I've ever read. Uh, so, but I'm sure it's a lot different wow. to the other poly books that are out there at the moment. <laughs> possibly, <laughs>
1: yeah. possibly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, if, if you if you pull all your skeletons out of the closet and 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 lay yeah. them out, um, the it it actually makes it really difficult for people to attack Absolutely. you. Absolutely,
0: and like everything that I've read so far, it's like taking that ownership that it's your story. Um, mm. And if I mm. want to reflect that back on like the young the young people yeah. that I know have had really big success through us, is they've owned their story. Mm. You know, yeah, they've taken yeah. it on, they've owned it, and they've and you know they're liberated in a way.
1: Yeah, and I think it's giving, you know, it's giving those those young people, and obviously you you give them the confidence to do that, and 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 the skills to be able to own that story, and you know, it's, we saw I spoke to one young man on Monday, and he did that, yeah. like you know, he owned the room. Um, it really was quite an extraordinary yeah. fellow. And then we had this, we had this other extraordinary woman, but she still had trouble owning her story. You know, and she still, you know, it was something she still had a lot of shame for. She, you know, she knew that if she spoke, she was worried that if she spoke about her history, that that would, you know, might put her, you know, her child in jeopardy. Yeah. It would put her, her she Struggled to get employment because of that, so yeah, I think what you guys are doing is so great, and it enables people to 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 own that and in and gain strength from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, thanks very much, and and thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's no, it's, been, it's been a great conversation, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, really really appreciate your time. Um. And-
1: no, thank you. Thanks for thinking of me, and thanks for the work you do. And I, you know, I really I really hope that we can see more investment in in. Um, uh, in in people like yourselves. Yeah, no,
2: look, we'll we we, we we'll continue doing our work. Um, you know, we look forward to, you know, probably walking closer with you as well, probably down the line yeah, you know, on, 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 on other stuff as well. But yeah, as Mac said, like, um, yeah, like, thanks for, like, it, it takes a bit to put yourself out on these things. And and you, as Mac referred to it, as well, like, wh- why do you pick these topics? Why do you go after this? And, and it, they need to be spoken about. And I think you... I think Maxie would refreshing there as well. I think that's in politics. I think we get too much of you know. I'll say one thing. and I'm in the opposition, and all I'll do is disagree on what you say. When all we want to hear is, well, what is your actual opinion on what? What's what's the solution? What is your solution? Everyone can go back with a problem. You can give me a million problems a day, and I can go and I can argue. Going that's wrong because basically you're saying that's right. I'm saying that's wrong. What's your solution to change my mind? What's your solution to do that? And I feel that you know you're doing that. You're 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 cutting through stuff, um, and you know you're showing great courage and bravery to go continue doing that as well. And on behalf of you know ourselves and, and other people in the sector as well, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing for us as well, and and uh, continue the great work as well. But I have one last question that I ask everyone that comes on to the to the podcast, yeah. and um. Um, when you were a young kid or you know to your life mm. what did you want to be when you you grew up <laughs> I,
1: there's to look I I think um, you know obviously I would have wanted to be an astronaut at some stage <laughs> um, but I, I used to have this recurring dream that I was going to be a nun
2: right <laughs> and
1: and I'm not even Catholic. I don't even know where it came from, but I used to have this recurring dream where I'd be like talking to God and, you know, trying to argue with God that, okay, I'd be a nun, but could I just have some fun first? And, you know, so, no, I never wanted to be a nun, but I always, but there was this, I had this fearful nightmare that that's what was going to become of me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, look, I I, I studied design and I, I went into, um, I, st- I started in architect architecture and I finished in, in- – I started in architecture, went to industrial design, finished in fashion design. So probably um, I did love making things when I was young.
2: Are we won't see uh, a runway collection down the line? Is that what we're saying?
1: Um, you know, it, I'm on my own at the moment in lockdown. I was trying to think what to do with this long weekend and I was thinking maybe I should try and get the sewing machine out again. But... Um, <laughs> who knows yeah. <laughs> well awesome. listen
2: thanks so much for your time it's been absolutely um, great to spend time with you and, and uh, thanks for all your insights and thanks again for all the great work you're doing and, and hopefully we'll um, speak again very soon
1: yeah I'd love to maybe in person yeah next absolutely
2: time. absolutely it. yeah thanks wow. guys we will be in the pub with uh, drinks and pizza <laughs> yes
1: please yes please look even if I have to bribe you you know I'll buy the <laughs> we boxes. accept them All good <laughs> <Awesome.
2: laughs> awesome. thanks Fiona thank have a great day yeah thank you
1: thanks see bye, you guys now. bye
0: If anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you or someone you know, head over to our website for a full list of services that may help at ymcarebuild.org.au under the podcast tab. This podcast was produced by Mick Cronin and Mark Wilson. Editing done by Mark Wilson.